In our series on work, um, we've said that uh, your work life matters. And uh, it, that, that it's not outside the domain of the sacred. Christian thought always holds that it's wrong to think that we only encounter God in moments like prayer or coming to church or embracing or engaging with scripture or participating in sacraments. That God is certainly in those arenas, but that he also is in places like our homes or our jobs or our time with our children and uh, in our private sphere, that God is in all things, that he fills all things. And to not see him that way is to divide the world up, to fragment it. And uh, to, it creates a kind of dualism where we think God's in this space, but he's not in this space. And that kind of thinking about God being limited in certain areas of our lives is really an ancient uh, heresy known as Gnosticism. And the church has always resisted that. There's this notion that God's always present. And even though it, 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 it kind of throws us a little bit is we don't always sense him. But that doesn't mean he's not there, that he's in the background. It's kind of like your clothing. You know, you don't usually see or notice the threads that are making up your clothing, but your clothing's made out of threads. And so in some way, God is inside, is linked in to our lives and, and has present in there. It's just that sometimes he hides. There's an interesting, provocative text in Isaiah 45 and verse 15 that says, truly, you are a God who hides yourself. That God actually loves to hide in our lives. <laughs> There's, the question is, if he's hiding, what does he want our response to be? And the biblical answer is that we are to seek him. We are to seek him precisely because he's hiding, which implies he's the one that made that game up. <laughs> right? And that somehow he, he is calling us to trust and to look for him. It's really interesting in Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he that comes to God, or she that comes to God, must believe that he is. That he's what? He's there. That he's present. And that he is a rewarder of those who believe that so much that they diligently seek him. Most of us don't seek him because we don't believe that he really is there in our lives. We don't look for him. We do in worship because we expect he'll be there. But do we look for him in our marriage or in our singleness or in our relationship with friends or in our job? We don't often seek him because we're not convinced he's actually there. If you went home after church today and you found a little note on your table as you walked in, said, hey, I'm hiding in your house, Pastor Ed. Now, you have a couple of choices at that very moment. <laughs> Dial 911, <laughs> right? Or believe it. If you believe it, what would you do? You look for me. You'd keep looking for me until you were convinced it was a hoax. And then once you were convinced of that, you'd stop looking. Most of us are not convinced that God's in our lives. So we don't look for him. Not understanding the nature of faith is God's a pretty good hider. And he hides commensurate with your level of spirituality. It's like when you, those of you that have had kids, you know, when they're really little, you hide, seek with them, but you hide commensurate with their capacity to seek. So if you have a real little one, you'll hide behind stuff like this. Right? 
But as they get older, you got to get better or they'll catch you too quick. Some of you, God is expecting real maturity and he has hid so well that you eventually get to the point you don't believe he's there. But what if he is? In Luke 24, when Jesus is walking with his disciples after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, the scripture explicitly says that as he was walking with them, he prevented them from recognizing him. I remember reading that years ago and had this sense that God was saying to me, I do that to you all the time. I prevent you from recognizing me. And my immediate response was, get behind me, Satan. Because I'm a charismatic. I mean, God wants to be out and everywhere and feeling and miraculous. I mean, everything, right? And, and, but I remember being hit. No, no. What, what if that's true? What if God tucks away into our lives? Precisely because he wants to, us to trust him when we don't feel him or see him. There's a story of Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis where he goes to sleep and in a dream he sees angels ascending and descending where he is into his life, that all this activity is going on, that God was at work. And when he woke up from his sleep, he made this statement. Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. What a shame that we could live our whole lives and maybe awaken to the fact that surely the Lord was always in my life and I did not know it. The daring of our soul is to dare to look for him and to seek him and realizing that God rewards people that does that. So we also said to you, as you're trying to capture this workspace, a sacred space, that how you work is monumentally more important than where you work. That if God has something specific for you to do, that, that you need to learn how to be a certain way in your job and how to work so that when you ever got to that where, it would matter. It's like some people, they want to get married. They don't understand or they want whatever you want to do. You want to be in some kind of management. You're never going to be worth anything by wanting it unless you let form in you so that you're a good enough person, whole enough person to be someone worth marrying or someone worth leading. That, there's, that often, oftentimes the big deal with God is not the outside job, it's the inside job. Right? Last week, Dr. Green insightfully pointed out that just like any area of life, balance is critical. And when we talk about work, you need to learn that there's a time to work hard, there's a time to rest, there's an appropriate kind of work, other kinds of work are not appropriate. In other words, there's this kind of sense of discernment that's needed in every area of our lives, certainly in the area of work, it's critical. That we shouldn't just act without thoughtfulness, without prayerfulness, to be discerning. We also pointed out the need to keep God as your source of provision not see your job as your source of provision. It sounds a little silly, uh, but, but it, it's really important as a follower of Christ that you're thankful for whatever work you're participating in right now as a way in which God provides for you and not as your direct provision. That somehow you look at your job, looking beyond it to God being the source, not that job being the source. It's a, it's a simple little call to faith. In discussing Moses' success, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Watch it. He, preserved, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw him who you can't see. He was looking beyond what he could see. 
that there's this call to faith that when you're on the job, that you're to look beyond what you see, that you realize this isn't just about bosses and about this specific job, but somehow God's in this providing for my life through this work. Our focus is to be on the invisible one and we're to work for him. We address that. Faith adds this layer of complexity and it does several things. One thing it does is it keeps you out of fear about the economy. Because even if you lose your job, if it shuts down, God has not retired. And if he's your provider, he doesn't just need that job. There will be something. He'll create something for you or lead you to something else. I've lived long enough to see, uh, to have seen at least eight or 10 serious economic downturns, things that for the worse. I mean, whether it was just, you know, in a, in a local area, some of the areas I've been in where, where people that I pastored, uh, they were losing their jobs or just sometimes, you know, just, you know, you know we've been through major downturns in the economy uh, nationally. And, and I have personally been jobless before, uh, experiencing the crisis that that created. And it's always scary. And it's always stressful. But trusting God helps us to not panic. And it helps us to move forward, <laughs> right, in our lives. We move forward because we refuse to get depressed over it. You might get depressed over it, but you refuse to stay there. And, and by turning the worry and the, and the anxiety, let that be a trigger to pray. Let that be a call to pray. Did you ever get this at your house? What is that? Answer the door. Somebody's at your door. So every time anxiety comes to the believer, it shouldn't be seen as an end within itself where we just sit there anxious. But we should see it as a knot for us to go to prayer, to respond and say, I'm freaking out, Lord, and talk to him. There's a beautiful text in Philippians 4. It says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Don't live in anxiety, but instead let it trigger in everything that you're anxious about. Let it trigger you to prayer and to petition and to thanksgiving and to presenting your stuff before God. And if you'll dare to do that instead of living in the anxiety, every time anxiousness comes, let it be a call to you to bring your stuff to God and then the peace of God, which transcends your understanding. Oh, this is beyond, you don't get it why you're doing this, but somehow inside you have this sense things are gonna be right. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The last thing you wanna do is when stress is coming and you're freaking out is to act out of that. Because if you act out of that, you'll end up in places you don't want to be. You'll end up saying things you don't want to say. You'll end up hurting things and hurting people and hurting yourself. But if you, if you can use this as a trigger, and if you see God as your ultimate source, you won't freak out by what's actually happening because you're seeing him who is invisible. It'll also help you move forward by choosing to get another job. Now, this may sound funny, and, and I'm going to say something to you that you will not agree with me necessarily on. Uh, and just in all fairness, I do preach a number of things that when I listen to myself later, I don't agree with myself. <laughs> so it's okay if you don't agree with me, but um, it is my opinion that God has commanded us to work. And, and what that means is not just at a certain pay grade, That sometimes if you end up in a place where you lose your job, I, I, I think you should find work, something to do. I mean, even if it's going around and cutting your neighbor's bushes and cleaning out their gutters on their house for 20 bucks, that somehow you should engage back in work. I think there's something, not because you're, I mean, I know that that can create some other issues I'm not gonna get into, but, but the point is, is that I think that choice to continue to find work good work on some level, even if it's not what you think you should be getting or in the career that you're in, 
is a way that you can express to God that you're trusting him as your source and you're just, you're just called to work. That something's right about that. Back in the 80s, I used to be on, a, I used to have a radio show uh, in the Milwaukee area. We went down to do a meeting and in that meeting, I met a number of the people that used to listen to our show. And in a break, when we were during a break, it was, it, it was in the 80s. And, and this guy that I met was an engineer. And there was a severe downturn in, the, in Wisconsin anyway. Uh, there was a lot around the country, but it was pretty severe. He was from Racine. And uh, uh, he had lost his job. And so as, as we were walking around and talking, I bumped into him. And I was talking with him. And I, and I asked him what he did. He said, well, actually, I'm out of work. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, how long since you... You've had a job. He said, two years. I heard myself saying, <laughs> it was coming out of me, and I went, oh, I wish I could grab those words. <laughs> I heard myself saying, you're in sin. Now, I was smiling. And, and, but it wasn't judgmental. It wasn't, I wasn't really trying to condemn him. I was trying to point out, saying, no, no, you should be working. And his immediate response, you know, you can imagine, he was kind of back on his back foot. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, listen, man. I said, God wants you, if you're trusting him, to not just trust him. To, if you lost a job here, the only way he's going to meet your need is by jumping in here. I said, be willing to work and trust God. You won't be stuck necessarily there. God will exalt you. I think if you just do what's right, do what's right. And right is working. And so, anyway, uh, about four years later, he ended up moving to our town and coming to our church in, in Marshfield, Wisconsin, from the Milwaukee area, about four hours away. Anyway, he ended up coming to our church, and, and I, he said, do you remember me? And I kind of went, yeah, kind of. And he said, I'm the guy you told was in sin for not working. I said, oh. <laughs> he said, I, I was really mad at you, <laughs> he said, when you told me that. He said, when I went home, I started praying about it. And he said, I thought, you know, he's right. So I just went out and got a real kind of menial job, but I, I, I wasn't working at it for the money and I wasn't working at it for the, for the, for the uh, status, certainly. But I worked at it for the Lord and seeing him, you know, that idea of seeing him who's invisible. He didn't say that, but that kind of idea. And he said, I was working there for a while and somebody saw me and thought, oh my gosh, and they hired me out of that. He said, I got hired out of that. And he said, about 18 months later, I got somebody contacted me about this job that was in Marshfield, where we were at, uh, as in an engineering position. And he said, I am now better off than I was back here. It's a better job, more pay, more down my, in my wheelhouse. And he said, I, I, I just see God's fingerprints all over it. Thank you for telling me to get back to work. Moral of the story is, listen to Ed Gunger. <laughs> I've got CDs, books on Amazon. And if you ever come up to me and I give you, tell you what to do, just do it. Gail Gunger, are you listening to this message? <clears throat> Ed Gunger's children? <clears throat> God be praised. This issue of having faith in God as your provider and not your job, helps you to approach your work more missionally, where, where you're, you're, not, you're not doing it just because you have to, that kind of drudgery that comes from that, or because you must do it, you know, where you feel like it, which is kind of a form of slavery where you must do something. But even if it's a job that you know is not ultimately your job, 
And even if you're looking for something else, you should pour yourself into that job no matter what it is, precisely because you're doing it as under the Lord. That there should be something missionally involved where you're feeling like, God's called me to give my best here. How many of you have ever been on a missions trip? Let me see your hand. Have you ever gone on a missions trip? Uh, or you know someone that has. And one of the things you always hear people that go on missions trips, generally speaking, I, I can't believe how much I sense God. You know, in the travel you know, in the mundane of the everydays, you know, where they might be working, you know, playing with kids in an orphanage, kicking balls, and they feel God's smile. Or working, you know, with their hands, you know, building something for the church or a school, and they feel God's presence in the mundane. And then they come back and say, man, I just loved it. And they think, I go back to the mission field. I always love telling them, listen, I said, what if, I mean, it might seem like God was more real there, but what if he was because you were looking for him there? And, and what if you could do that here in your mundane? And then somehow, what, what if he's not just with you when you're on a missions trip? What if you're on a missions trip all the time? That, that you're to approach life missionally. You're saying, God, this is my calling. And I start looking for God. Maybe one of the reasons we don't encounter God is because we don't, because we're rude. We just don't acknowledge him. I mean, he's always there, but we're rude. It's like if you were sitting there, standing here after service and talking, and I came right up to you and looked at you, and you completely ignored me, I would walk away thinking, you're rude. <laughs> what if spirituality is more about not being rude than anything else? Because there you are in your life. You don't acknowledge him because you don't think he's there. There you are going to work. You don't acknowledge him because you don't, you don't think he's there. Here you're ready to face these people that you know are weird. You're convinced one of them is a cousin of the Antichrist. You're sure of it. <laughs> but you never pray about it because you don't think God's there. Why would God be there? It's just your boring life. You know, he would only be there if you were doing something like really important, like singing in front of everyone, using your gift. <laughs> or, or how many of you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many of you, if we asked you to preach next weekend and you embraced, if you, if you took, the, took the challenge and we said preach next weekend, how many of you would pray a little extra between now and next weekend? Right? How many of you would actually maybe read your Bible? <laughs> or think about it a little bit. Think about it seriously and thoughtfully. How many of you, do, you know why? 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 Because you think this matters. What if your presence on the job and your presence in what you do, the field of work that you have, is as important as anything else is? What if there is no sacred secular? What if it is all sacred to God? That you would dare to acknowledge him as you're going to work or to teach that class or to, or to be in, or be sit in a class or to be doing whatever you're doing that you actually in your heart would have this sense of, I need to approach this mission like God is with me and you acknowledge him. Listen, this text is a cool text. It says in verse three of Hosea six, let us acknowledge the Lord. Just acknowledge him. Don't be rude. I had a, one time I was in, this when I was in high school. And I had gotten up and I had, I was late. Didn't get a chance to go to the Bible study that we had before school. And I was, got up late and I was hustling and I had a test. And I was, had actually two tests that morning. I was dinking around with it and my head was so focused. And I got to lunchtime. It was just a little week. I went to lunch about 12.30 on this particular schedule. And it got about 12.30. I'm heading down the hall to lunch. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I haven't even prayed. I haven't even said good morning to God. I haven't talked to God. And I remember saying, Lord, and I heard you. I kid not. I heard inside myself. I heard this. Good morning. <laughs> it was afternoon. And the sense that I had was, 
He was always waiting. He was just waiting to engage with me. But I was busy. He says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Why? Because sometimes you have to press it because he's hiding real well. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I think the reason that most of us don't sense God's presence in our everydays is because there's no expectation that God cares about those. Right? But what if he does? Now, before we quit here this morning, I wanted to shift to a couple of practical instructions from the scriptures that I don't have much time because the Packers are kicking off here any minute. <laughs> and I can feel the spirit lifting and I'm trying to just stay focused. I can see the father going, hurry up, hurry up, Ed. <laughs> so here they are, five quick things, five quick things. <laughs> Number one, if you're going to shake your world for God and use your job as part of that, is you've got to get good at what you do. God does not bless slothful people. He blesses people who push toward excellence. There's a text in Proverbs 22 that says, do you see a person skilled, skilled in his work? That person will, not, will serve kings, not just serve obscure people. Tell them I'm almost done. This text is saying, sharpen your saw, man. The result will be you'll get further with less effort. You sharpen your saw that's cutting, and you'll get further with less effort. Look at the area of your work, your arena of work, and ask yourself, what skills or knowledge would help me get better at what I'm doing here? Help me increase my skill in this area. It might be getting some more ongoing education. It might be developing better relational skills or confrontational skills or sales skills. It might be learning how to manage things, you know, project manage stuff or uh, how to manage people. Those are learned skills. Are you, are you skilled? Are you working at getting better? Maybe you need to work more on some computer issues and computer skills. If you want to influence, you've got to sharpen your saw. Don't think you're going to get promoted because you're a Christian. Well, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good for you, but you're not very good. Well, I'm a tither. Er, er, er. I'm glad you are, but you suck at what you do. You don't get promoted because you're wonderful. You get promoted because you're good enough to get promoted. You get promoted because you're qualified to get promoted. And, and for the love of God, if you've got capacities you're not using, we ought to put you through the spanking machine. <laughs> There's a guy in our church, his name was Greg, really sharp guy. But he, he was, you know, he's grown up out of high school. He got a job at the local uh, uh, hospital. And he was, a, what, what, he was worked in a, as a, basically as a clerk in the thing. And he was um, uh, really at a, a dead-end job. It was, a, it was minimum wage and a little bit plus. And then he married another girl who was also a clerk. She was at minimum wage and a little bit. And they get married. They're really hard workers in children's ministry, so they're serving the Lord in the church. They're, they're, they're tithers consistently. But then they start having these, these babies. Three <laughs> for one. Anyway, so they, they get these three babies. And he came to me one day after service one day. He said, he said Pastor, he said, I, I don't know what's going on. I said, what? And he said, I'm not, I can't make it financially. Jody's working. I'm working. And we just can't make it. And she said, we, he said, we tithe. You know, we're trusting the Lord. We're trusting the Lord for miracles. We're tithing. I said, Greg. 
And so listen, I mean, it's not like a tither means that, you know, that supernaturally God's gonna, you know, put a bag of silver dollars in a dog's mouth and have them drop it off of your house. <laughs> Tithing doesn't mean magic. Tithing means sometimes that you have courage to do things you wouldn't have been able to do. Following God means he gives you sometimes perseverance to do things you wouldn't normally have done. And so what do you, so go to school. Have you thought about going to school? I can't go to school. Why? You're smart. Why? I got three kids. I got, Craig, what you don't want to do is borrow money. What you don't want to do is go through the hardness of it. And listen, you, and he said, well, I don't feel like God's told me to do that. I said, has God told you to work in that dead-end job? I don't know what it is, but we think God has got to speak to us if it's anything hard. Well, that's hard. That's scary. That's dangerous. That'll take courage. The Lord hasn't spoken to me. Well, maybe he doesn't have to. Maybe you can embrace courage and perseverance and those kinds, they're kind of Christian ideas. You don't think God has to speak to you to be a sloth? Why does he have to speak to you to be diligent? Listen to Ed Gunger. <laughs> he ended up going back to school. It was so hard. I watched him do it. He went back to school, had to borrow money, had to do this, move this around, do this. And he finally ended up getting his RN degree and then he specialized. And now he is set. His life is rich, is full. He's got plenty of cash. And because he invested his life into something that he understands and, and the capacity of his own life. Now, some of you have no capacity for higher education. That's okay. That doesn't mean God won't bless you for increasing your life. Learning how to work smarter, learning how to work faster, learning how to work, trusting God in the process will open up stuff and you can watch what God does. You will be blessed. You will be exalted. Your sharp, your sword, your what? Your saw will be sharp. Number two, hurry up. Honor your boss. If you're going to do a good, honor your boss and your employee, or if you're the boss, your employees and your job. First Peter 2 says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves are in our modern vernacular employees. Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, which we like, but also to those who are punks. This is hard. To honor someone means you respect them. You pay tribute to them. You don't diminish them. And it gets tough when we're commanded to honor people that don't deserve it. And yet in the context of work, Paul says it. Philippians 2, do everything without complaining, without arguing. So how are you doing? How do you fare when everyone else is whining? See, choose to stay sweet and supportive. It's your calling. And there's a huge emphasis in our culture on being real. We think it's a Christian virtue. Well, I just need to be real and authentic, which means I'm going to throw up on you right now. Because <laughs> you make me sick. I'm going to stick it to the man. Right? Well, God bless you. Bill. Bill Hybels talks about sometimes being real will just destroy, right? Bill Hybels writes, quote, watch the TV screen. Things are tense at work. The employee is disagreeing with the boss. Nerves are snapping as the background music builds. The camera comes in tight on the employee and shows the veins popping out of his forehead. A moment of silence. And then he proclaims, I quit. The music crescendos wildly as he storms out, slamming the door behind him. 
And while the show's sponsors sing the praises of beer or antacids, viewers across the nation sigh and say, that's exactly what I want to do to my boss someday. I want to quit in living color in front of a vast audience with violins and a drum roll, end quote. (laughs) It's true, we've glorified this idea that you just tell people exactly what you think. But that doesn't always work. And so you get married that first six months, and she says, is that kind of salty? You say, no, it's not salty at all. Even though you know it's like licking a salt block. (laughs) You lie. (laughs) Gently and sweet. When your little kid comes and brings that first art project, and you're thinking, my God, (laughs) you suck. (laughs) Don't even ever pick up a piece of crayon or anything. You're an idiot. You don't do that. You take that horrible, lousy, whatever the heck it is, and you put it on the refrigerator. You go, look, look, everyone, look at what she's created. And she's beaming. And you think, you little no good nothing. But you don't say it. You lie out of your teeth. There's some things more important than being real. And honoring people is one of them. Third, work with holiness. Don't lie, don't flirt, don't be lazy, don't cheat. Do what's right. Got a friend on the job. He was just out of high school. And uh, he, uh, his boss, he was picked up the phone. He's a construction worker. He picked up the phone and the guy spoke to him and he put the phone on hold. He said, boss, this guy's calling. He said that he was supposed to have this thing delivered to him like today. It's not here. And the boss said, oh, I completely forgot. Tell him and then told him to tell him a lie. And my friend stopped. He was just a young guy, this burly boss in a construction zone. He said, I'm not going to do that. So what do you mean you're not going to do that? You work for me. What do you mean? He said, I'm not going to lie for you. The boss got so mad. He said, well, tell him what you want. And stormed out. He said, come and see me. So he picked up the phone and he said, sir, we have an order to yell. I'll let you know when we do. Hangs up the phone, goes into the boss's office. He was just kind of settling down. He was fuming some mad. He looked at him. He said, listen, he said, I'm going to put you over all my operations. He said, what? He said, if you will not lie for me, you will not lie. And I need someone I can trust. Amen. Now in that setting, he won for being a believer. He could have just as easily been fired. Yeah. And this is your life. Sometimes when you follow God, you win. Sometimes when you follow God, you lose. Right? See, don't buy into people that say you always win when you follow Jesus. Really? None of those 12 apostles won. Hung upside down. I mean, just boiled. Hebrews 11 talks about people of faith that conquered kingdoms, you know, overcame, overcome lions, and when they do all this wonderful stuff, and, 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 and then it says, and then others were sawed in two. <laughs> How many would rather conquer kingdoms and get sawed in two, right? I'd much rather make the other guy die for his country. <laughs> and yet sometimes you don't buy into a theology that always says you win because it's not true. They're smoking pot. <laughs> Wrapped in Bible verses. Yeah. 
just got to tell you, man. Got to tell you. This is my opinion, but you know about what my opinion means. <laughs> Blessing or judgment. <laughs> the power of the pulpit. Anyway, the fourth thing, learn the art of mercy and truth. Sometimes mercy, what mercy is, is this sense of saying, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And then you, mer you merge that with truth, which says, this is right, that is wrong, and you get all up in someone's grill. They seem contradictory, and yet they've got to be merged. And we know, those of you that have followed Christ, you know how merciful he is, and yet how in your face he is. And somehow as a result of it, it expands our faith and grows our character. And you and I need to learn that there are times that when people do stuff, our default should be, you know what, I I'm not going to give you what you deserve. But after you process that, that there are times you still have to go to them and say, you know what? I'm not doing this because you deserve any, I'm, I'm not reacting to what you did, but we need to address this issue. And sometimes when you address it, it's hard. Sometimes you have to fire people. Sometimes you're running a team that somebody's bringing some kind of a hurt into that you've got to stop. And don't just think that's mercy to not address it because all that mercy might be doing there is being a cover up for not showing courageous love. But sometimes if, 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 if your mercy is not default and you're always getting up in people's grills, it might just be because you have too much of a self-focus. You're not really watching what's going on in the heart of the other person. So it's a little bit of a challenge, but if you get good at mercy and truth, God will exalt you. And then the last thing is, this is from St. Francis of Assisi. I love it. Always preach the gospel. Sometimes use words. You know that for some of you, the most people will ever see of God is what they see in you. Are you reflecting him? Are you learning with your life to show God's grace? And, 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 and realize when you're with people that don't know Christ or somehow haven't developed very far in Christ, they can, they're like two-year-olds. They're like little weird people. And, and, and if they've been hurt, they hurt. They're just weird little hurt people. And you, if you go in there and have you high expectations, you know, I, I'm going to give my best and they're going to respond to me right and I'm going to be applauded because I'm giving my best. You, you're going to get beat up and get bitter. What you ought to do is lower your expectations. Go into a job, just like if you babysit a two-year-old or a three-year-old. How many of you have ever babysat a child that little, right? Okay, you don't have these high expectations. I'm going to be treated as I deserve to be treated. They're going to acknowledge my gifts and applaud me for what I'm good at. Are you kidding me? Those little ingrates, they're going to use you and make you crazy. And if you're not careful, you'll think, come here, you little wussy. <laughs> You've got to lower your expectations. You're dealing with two-year-olds. When you go to work, do the same. Some of you are babysitting your boss. Some of you are babysitting these other people around you that are just absolutely in their terrible twos for 40 years. But if you go there and you reflect God, what will end up happening is God will move in that situation. And the bottom line is, stand up so you think I'm done, stand up. The bottom line is God's moving in every heart that's there. Listen to me. God's moving in every life you're encountering, even if they're not a follower of Christ. Paul, when he's in Acts 14, this miracle happens. The scripture says that the people thought that Paul and, and Barnabas were gods come down, the Greek gods. They thought that Paul was Hermes. They thought the other guy was Zeus. And they're coming to sacrifice animals. And, and they ripped their clothes. I mean, they didn't say, you idiots. You should repent for your pagan implications. He didn't do anything like that. 
He just said, he ripped his clothes. He said, hey, we're just guys like you. He immediately united with them instead of excluded them. He immediately connected with them. People you're around, they completely co-opt the work of God in different ways in their lives. They, whatever good God does in their life, they often say it's just karma or something else, and it can grieve you. If you're not careful, you'll just get grieved and exclude them and be mean to them inside. And I'm telling you what, most Christians, I think we do more harm to the cause of Christ than good because we're such little anal word people. Pointed noses, pointed ears. And, and we're just, we're, we're horrible. We should... And I'm not, I'm not saying that, I mean, I still love, you need to love your father, brothers and sisters who are horrible because you've got people that you are in your married, are in your, in your family tree <laughs> that are weird, right? So we don't get to pick who our brothers and sisters are, right? But you know what? You need to decide to say, God, I want to be a part of encouraging what good you're doing in their lives. So in that story in Acts 14, Paul looks at those people that are pagan and he says, God's been working in your life, even though you mess up the story. He said he has given you the harvest and the rain and the sunshine. And listen, he's given you all the joy that fills your heart. So the things that make you laugh, the things that make you cry, the things that falling in love, holding a baby, laughing with your friends, those are all gifts from God. So here's the bottom line. Those people you work with, God's there. Find ways to nudge them. Find ways to encourage them. Find ways that they're open and challenging them and saying, you know, I think that's God in your life. And watch what God does. I wanted to end with this prayer um, that's kind of a cry for those of us that are engaged in life. Let's say this together. Oh God, our Father, help us all through this day so to live that we may bring help to others, credit to ourselves, and to the name we bear and joy to those that love us and to you. Cheerful when things go wrong, persevering when things are difficult, serene when things are irritating. Enable us to be helpful to those in difficulties, kind to those in need, sympathetic to those whose hearts are sore and sad. Grant that nothing may make us lose our tempers, nothing may take away our joy, Nothing may ruffle our peace. Nothing may make us bitter towards anyone. So grant that through all this day, all with whom we work and all those whom we meet may see in us the reflection of the master, whose we are and whom we seek to serve. This we ask for your love's sake. Amen. We're trusting you'll work well. God bless you. Sit down one more time.